word once again. And this powerful little book, Lord, we know that um, there's so much application to be made. And so, Lord, as we do come in and, and perhaps we're tired and, and uh, hungry or, or Lord, uh, whatever it might be, that really more than anything, we're hungry for the word of God. And, Lord, we want to be attentive. So help us to do that as we go through this wonderful book, the book of Ruth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, the book of Ruth is only four chapters long, 85 verses in totality. So it's a fairly short book, but it is long in application. It is long in, in meaning and blessing for you and for me as we go through this book. And the book of Ruth here is probably a book that a lot of you are familiar with, one of those books of the Old Testament that people read because it is fairly short, but also because what we will see as we travel through these four chapters that the book of Ruth is a very wonderful love story. It's a love story that tells of a tale that took place there in the days of the judges with a woman named Ruth who was from Moab, and then she's going to meet Boaz, and they're going to fall in love, and they're going to end up getting married. So as we go through this book, first of all, we're going to see it's a beautiful love story that is presented to us. But also, as we go through the book of Ruth, we're going to see that it's a story that tells of redemption. As we read about Boaz, Boaz is going to be known as the kinsman redeemer, or that is the goel in the Hebrew. And as we particularly get to chapters 3 and 4 specifically, we're going to see what that means, the kinsman redeemer. And also what we're going to see as we go through the book of Ruth is that Boaz is a picture of points to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So Ruth is going to be a picture and points to the bride of Christ, that is you and me. So not only is the book of Ruth a, a wonderful love story and a story of redemption, but also what we're going to see as we travel through this book, and specifically in chapters 1 and 2, that we're going to see that God is faithful, that God is still working in it, even in the midst of their loss that this family that we're going to read about has gone through, even through their difficulties and the days of famine. We see God is working, and we see that God is faithful. And, and maybe somebody's here tonight, and maybe you find yourself in, in a period of famine or, or difficulty or maybe a time of loss in your life in some way, whatever circumstance you might be facing. And I hope that this book is specifically an encouragement to you that God is still working in ways that perhaps that you don't know, but he is faithful to us. So the book of Ruth is speaking of God's love for us. It speaks of God's redemption towards us and, and then his faithfulness that is given as he works on our behalf. And so it is just a wonderful book that we're going to see as we travel through it. So let's begin to look at the book of Ruth. As we read now, it came to pass in the days when the Judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And so it's taken place during the days of the judges. So we just finished the book of Judges a few weeks ago, and we know that Judges took place after Joshua had come into the land, as we read in the book of Joshua, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the children of Israel, Joshua would become the new leader after the death of Moses. He would cross the Jordan River with the children of Israel, and then they would go in, and they would possess the land. They would just receive the promises that God had given to them, and they would drive out the Canaanites. They would defeat them, and then we saw in the book of Joshua, which was a book of victory, a book of 
of uh, the children of Israel just experiencing the blessing and the richness that God had for them because they were walking in faith, because they were walking in obedience to the Lord. And so the allotments were given to the 12 tribes of Israel. The land divided up and they possessed the land. But then we saw that that generation after Joshua, that is in, in Judges chapter 2, that there was that generation that rose up that they did not know the Lord nor remember the works of the Lord. And you recall that they began to turn to the Canaanite gods. And so the days of the judges, and this is when the book of Ruth has taken place, would be a time frame of 400 years from the time after the death of Joshua up until the time of Samuel that we will see in a couple weeks when we enter into 1 Samuel. Samuel is going to be the last of the judges. And it is at that time that the children of Israel are going to repent, turn back to the Lord, and then after that they're going to come to Samuel and say that we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. So that's going to begin another period of history for the children of Israel, and that is the days of the king. And of course, as we will see, that Saul from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, will be anointed as king, and then he will be rejected, and then David will become king, and then Solomon, and then we see the days of the kings as the house of Israel will split off from Judah, and we will see the different kings that will rule as we go through those books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So that's a different time frame in their history. But right now, we see that, that Ruth has taken place in that time when there was this cycle of rebellion. They would rebel against the Lord. Uh, they would find themselves in bondage. They would find themselves um, in terrible situation because of their disobedience. And that was all because, you recall, that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai, that the Lord made a covenant with them, didn't he? And he said that if you follow after me, I'm going to bless you when you go into the promised land. And I'm going to drive out the inhabitants. And your, your crops, your vineyards, your grain fields are going to produce. There's going to be abundance. And, and you're going to prosper. And you're going to defeat your enemies. And there's going to be peace. And I'll send the rains. But if you go after those Canaanite gods and forsake me, then you're going to find yourselves in drought. You're going to find yourselves in famine. I won't send the rains. You're going to find yourself in bondage to your enemy. And that's what happened during this time when they were in rebellion, when they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And of course, a major lesson that we saw in the book of Judges is that's what happens to us spiritually if we begin to do what is right in our own eyes. As a nation, we are facing famine spiritually because that is more the mindset of our culture, of our day, of our nation. It will happen to our family. It will happen to us individually if we are ones that are going to do what is right in our own eyes rather than doing what is right in God's eyes. And so here is famine that has taken place because of their disobedience. It's in the days of the judges. And a certain man of Bethlehem, as we continue in verse 1, Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem of Judah. And they went to the country of Moab to remain there. So here is famine that is happening in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is just real close to Jerusalem. 
And Bethlehem is there in the Judean hills. And if you look directly east from Bethlehem as the crow flies, what you will see is you will see the mountains of Moab. There is a descent uh, of a couple thousand feet down to the Dead Sea. And it's the lowest point on the face of the earth. And then on the other side of the valley, there is the mountains of Moab, which is today modern-day Jordan. So here is a family that's experiencing famine in the land because the days were dark. It's the days of the judges. But I believe that they're also experiencing in their hearts some kind of famine as well because they look across and they see that the grass is greener on the other side over there. So let's go over there. And you see, Christian, we got to be careful whenever that we experience famine, if you would, or dryness or some kind of bareness or perhaps challenges or difficulties in our families, in our own lives, we can have a tendency to begin to look and say, maybe I need to go over there where the grass seems to be greener. And I believe that God wanted them to stay in Bethlehem. Why? Because he'd given them the promised land. This was their allotment. This was their inheritance in Bethlehem. He desired for the people to repent, but they ended up going to another country when perhaps they should have stayed put. And the reason that I'm mentioning that is because we can have a tendency to go somewhere where perhaps the Lord doesn't want us to go. I know the Lord can move us, and, and we change directions, and, and we can change geographically, but sometimes Christians, when they're going through just kind of a rough time, they can look and say, maybe I'll go over there or go that direction, when perhaps the Lord would want you to stay. And I believe that this family was was happy, really happy at one time. Maybe they're going through a little bit of famine spiritually themselves, looking across the Moab, being tempted to go over there where perhaps they think it's going to be easier. Because here we, we look at their names. The, the father, the husband, his name was Elimelech. His name means God is my king. His wife, Naomi, as we're introduced to her, we see that her name means pleasant. And then they had two sons that were introduced to, Malon and Chilion. Malon means song, and Chilion means satisfaction. And the reason that I think that they were a blessed family, at least at one time, a happy family, and maybe some of that was gone because, listen, here is Elimelech, and God is my king the leader of this family. And when God is your king in your life and in your family's life, it truly will be pleasant, Naomi. And sometimes it is difficult days that we can go through as a Christian, especially in the perilous times that we're in. Because we are in the world, but we're not of the world, are we? And the world hates us. Jesus said, you need to understand this, that the world hated me first and the world's going to hate you because of my name's sake. And the world is not going to applaud us because we became Christians. The world will make it difficult for us at times. But think about this. When we even experience those coming against us and trying to make things hard for us, that it is still in our lives and in our families' lives when we make a stand and say, God is my king, when husbands, fathers, you say that, that God is our king in this house, 
that really it will be pleasant. I was thinking about this. What would my family life be? What would, would I be like if I didn't have the Lord who is my king? There would be so much confusion. There would be so much difficulty. There would be, you know, just um, straying away into to the ways of the world. And I think it's much more difficult not to be a Christian. And it's a blessing to be a Christian. And even though we will go through tribulations and difficulties, and those who live godly in Christ Jesus, as Paul told Timothy, will experience persecution of some sort, it is pleasant because we have the Lord. And we have His peace and His strength and His his promises and his direction and wisdom that is given to you and to me, and that's what makes it pleasant. So when God is your king, it will be pleasant, and there will be a song in your heart. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, what my prayer is that in your homes that you're singing psalms and spiritual songs, making a melody in your heart with thanksgiving, that that's the atmosphere of your heart, the atmosphere of your home, the priority of your home, that there's really a song of thanksgiving and praise in your heart to the Lord. And then you know what else you'll find? You'll find that you'll have true satisfaction. So you go from God is king to pleasant to a song in your heart to true satisfaction. And we've been talking a little bit about that in our recent studies, just as we did on Sunday. As here was Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth who had everything. He had all the power and prestige and riches, anything that he wanted, but yet he was troubled in his heart. And I hope that we are understanding in our lives and we understand every single day that true satisfaction and fulfillment is going to come by drawing close to the Lord. Here they were in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread and how very appropriate because it is where the bread of life was born, Jesus Christ. And as we talked a bit about on Sunday, that Jesus would say to the multitudes, he was trying to get them to understand that you come and you eat and drink of me. And if you're only coming because of the material, physical blessings, you're going to be unfulfilled, unsatisfied. You're going to be hungry again. But if you believe in me, you have eternal life and you'll never hunger and thirst again. And I hope that we really understand and have it in our hearts that ultimate satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest and peace comes by eating and drinking of him, a closeness with Jesus Christ, because he's the one that has the words of eternal life. And so here are this family, that they're going through difficulties, and what they do is they go to, to Moab, In verse 2 it says that they remain there. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob, you recall that he was running from his brother Esau, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob, his twin brother. So Jacob takes off, and he's going to go to his uncle Laban's house and where he lives in Pandanaran, some 400 miles away from Canaan. And on his way that he's fleeing from his brother, he stops, he goes to sleep, he pulls up a rock to use for a pillow. And he has a dream of angels ascending and descending on this ladder from earth to heaven, and, and he's amazed. And the Lord spoke to him and reiterated that covenant that he had made with his grandfather Abraham, that it's going to go through you and your descendants 
Jacob, and, and all of this is going to be yours, this land, and it's going to belong to your descendants. I'm making this covenant with you. And Jacob woke up and he said, wow, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. So he called that place Bethel. And there he made an altar and he worshiped the Lord and he heard from the Lord in that place, a very special place and closeness for Jacob. Well, he goes to Pandanaran and you read the next chapters how he would meet Leah and Rachel and marry them and have two concubines and all his sons that he would have and, and, and his herds that eventually that he would come back to Canaan after 20 years of being away from home. And he comes back and he ends up, instead of going to Bethel, he goes to Shechem. And in Genesis chapter 34, you see that Jacob's family was a mess, that they had idols all in their families, that their children went through some horrendous things. His daughter was violated by the men of Shechem, and then his sons went in and killed the men of Shechem. It, it was a real difficult time and dark time spiritually for Jacob and his family. And the Lord came to Jacob and said, Jacob, I want you to pack up, and I want you to go back to Bethel, to the house of God. And it says that Jacob would take his family, and they would move, and they would leave those idols. They got rid of the household idols. And it also says that they changed their clothes. And I found that interesting. And as I was thinking about that, why would the Lord record that they changed their clothes? Because when in Shechem, you're going to dress like Shechem. And it just symbolizes that they were dressing and acting and, and just a part of that world. Shechem was an ungodly place. And so they changed their clothes. They, they got rid of their idols. And they went to Bethel and they remained there. So the question tonight for all of us is where do you go in a time of famine? Do you go to Moab? Do you go to Shechem? Or do you go to Bethel? to that place of worship and where you're hearing from the Lord. In the book of Amos, in Amos chapter 8, it spoke of famine that was in the land, but it wasn't famine of food. It was a famine that Amos said of the word of God, that they were no longer hearing the word of God. We know that the psalmist would write in Psalm 1 that he who delights in the law of the Lord, in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The way for you and for me to be refreshed and planted and, and to prosper in the best sense of the word is that you have Jesus. And that you're taking in the word of God that's going to refresh you and renew you and grow you. And you remain in that place of Bethel, that place, that the house of bread, that where the bread of life was born. You stay close to him and have intimacy and closeness with him. So that's where they go, and they're going to remain there in the country of Moab. In verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women um, survived her two sons and her husband. And so Naomi's husband dies, 
And as they're there for those 10 years, her two sons who married, as we're introduced to Opa and to Ruth, all of a sudden her two sons die as well. I'll tell you the truth on this. When Elimelech, God is king, Elimelech, God is king, will die if you go to Moab. And mom and dads, when you journey to Moab, if you pursue worldliness and that which is false and deceptive and that not of the Lord, you know what? Your kids are going to pay the price. And you will see that your kids will begin to die spiritually. And here with her husband dying, God is king. When, when God is king dies, then your song is going to die and then your satisfaction is going to die as well. So here's Naomi going through a real difficult time here and, and she's going through tremendous loss with the loss of her husband and her two sons. And so, verse 6, she rose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she returns to Bethlehem because the Lord had given them bread. And you know what you will find, any of us, our families will find, when we go back to that place, the house of bread, the house of God, you're going to find that there's bread there. And you're going to find that there is bread there to bless you and refresh you and strengthen you. And perhaps a lot of you know that you know of individuals or maybe even of families that they've gone through a little bit of famine for whatever reason it might be in their hearts, in their souls, and in their spirits. And maybe they've been out of fellowship and maybe out of fellowship with with the Lord and, and not reading their Bibles and they're struggling and they haven't been to church and they haven't been with the body of believers, you can encourage them, go back. Go back because you're going to find bread there. You go back to the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and have closeness with him once again. Go back to, to the fellowship of believers where you can be blessed and fed and encouraged and prayed for. So any of us that come back, we will find that blessing, but also we can encourage others as well. And so here she comes. She's going to go back and return, and she has her daughter-in-laws with her. So verse 7, Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her her two daughter-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed him and they lifted their voices and they wept. And so here we see Naomi going home to Bethlehem. She encourages her daughter-in-laws to remain in Moab and to remarry. So Naomi thought that is going to be what is best. It's a logical thing that she is saying, obviously. Go back to your country. Go back to where your family is. But we're going to see that God has something better. And so we read in verse 10, And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? And turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, 
Verse 13, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So what she's saying is very logical. She is bringing up an inheritance law that we saw in the book of Leviticus and also in the book of Deuteronomy. And inheritance was real important in ancient Israel. And many of you, you're familiar with it as we have studied it and looked at it. But if you married someone and all of a sudden your husband dies and you didn't have any offspring, then the inheritance law said in the Old Testament that what that widow was to do was to marry the dead you know, man's brother. And so they were to have an offspring and then that offspring would be in the name of the dead brother. So that was the inheritance loss. That's why she's saying that I have no other sons. I have no other sons, brothers of, you know, your husbands to give to you, to marry, so you can carry on their names, their inheritance, which was very important. You recall that it was the Sadducees, you remember they came to Jesus and they said, um, we got a question if a man marries a wife and they don't have any children and the man dies and she marries his brother and then he dies and they don't have any offspring, so they marry the other brother and he doesn't have any offspring to the seventh brother. And then there's no offspring. When they go to heavens, whose you know, wife you know, is going to belong to which of the seven brothers? And Jesus said, neither. You're not given to marriage in heaven. But they were bringing up that inheritance law as you think about what they were asking them. So if you died, then your widow, your wife, was to marry your brother. Well, there's no brothers here to marry. She's saying, I'm too old to marry. And even if I did and I bore a son, are you going to wait all these years for him to grow up so you can marry him? Go back and so you can have husbands. And she says something very interesting here in verse 13 at the end. She says, it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she feels, she senses that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. I want to present two sides of the pendulum here as we talk about what Naomi is thinking. The scripture says in the book of Galatians that don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow seeds of the spirit, of this, you know, spirit you're going to reap to everlasting life. And it's true for all of us. That is a spiritual law that none of us are exempt from. That the seeds that we are sowing today and planting today, there's going to be a harvest that's going to come up tomorrow. And sometimes we go through consequences and difficulties because of bad choices or mistakes or sins that we're involved in certainly there's consequences because of that and that's why the lord says very lovingly to you and to me don't sin stay away from sins don't be sowing seeds of the flesh because you're going to reap corruption but you sow seeds to the spirit and you walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh and so sometimes we experience the consequences of sin there is forgiveness we confess our sins, as John would write in his first epistle. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. And so sometimes we go through those, those times because of decisions or actions that we did that were not godly. That's why 
I emphasize that in these days in which we're living in, in week two of our series that we did, you need to stand firm in godly decisions because there's a lot of pulls on us and a lot of people trying to get us to do ungodly things. You stand firm in making godly decisions and planting seeds to the Spirit because you're going to see that blessing is going to follow and a good crop is going to come up in your life. But the other side of the pendulum is this, that as Christians, we're not exempt from experiencing loss and going through difficulties. We live in a fallen creation, in a world that there is sin and disease and there is sickness. And Christians are not exempt from experiencing the loss of a loved one. Christians are not exempt from experiencing sickness. Christians are not exempt from car accidents or going through financial problems or whatever it might be. Discouragement. We're not exempt from those kinds of things. But I want you to know something. That the Lord loves you and he's with you. And that's the good news because in those times where we're thinking, Lord, I'm doing my best and, and Lord, why am I experiencing this or why am I going through this? You fall back on the things that you do understand. And that is that the Lord's love remains. And, and he's working in ways that you don't fully understand because what we're going to see is that God is working in ways that they don't understand right now, Ruth and Naomi. And you can trust in him and continue to, to look to him for refuge and strength, for comfort, for direction, for provision. God is still working in your life. And so here she's thinking, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, in verse 14, and they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I like that. She clung to her, her mother-in-law. I believe Naomi was a tremendous blessing to her daughter-in-laws, and you can too. For those of you who have daughter-in-laws, son-in-laws, mother-in-laws, whatever family it might be, and here Naomi was a tremendous blessing to her daughters because they were weeping. But Ruth clung to her. You see, it wasn't just emotional, but there was true devotion. And never forget, with true devotion, there's going to be a clinging. There's going to be a clinging. And with true devotion, there's going to be a clinging to the Lord. I'm going to hang on to you. You remember that Jacob, when he was wrestling with the Lord, and, and Jacob here was a man that he's at the brook Jabbok, and he doesn't know what to do. He can't go backwards, as we read in the book of Genesis, because Laban's going to kill him. He can't go forward because Esau is coming after him with 400 men. So he's there all alone, and all of a sudden the Lord sneaks up on him and begins to wrestle with him. Remember that story? And he's wrestling with the Lord, and, and Jacob says, I won't let you go, Lord. As the Lord says, let me go, Jacob. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And we know that the Old Testament tells us that he said it with tears, that Jacob is saying, Lord, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to hang on to you because I'm tired of doing things in my own way and conniving and being deceitful. I'm going to hang on to you, Lord. You cling to the Lord. Because true devotion includes clinging. 
In the marriage relationship, a man shall leave his father and mother and what? Cleave to his wife or cling to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Real devotion that is there. So it's not just emotion, but true devotion will mean a clinging. And then we have a beautiful prayer and statement of Ruth as she looked and Look, your sister-in-law has gone back, said Naomi, to her people and to her gods. Return to your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. What devotion that she shows here. She says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And your God is going to be my God. And your people shall be my people. And I am going to die. Death is what's going to part you and me. Such a beautiful portion of scripture. And I hope that this is our prayer in our hearts. That Lord, wherever you go, I am going to go. There's going to be a clinging to you. There's going to be real devotion that I have towards you, Lord. And there's going to be no departing. But Lord, I want to be with you all the days of my life. And I want to plant myself, be lodged where you want me to be. And to be amongst your people. To be blessed and encouraged. But also, parents, I want to say this, that your kids oftentimes will follow you as you're leading them. And they will say, I will go where you go. So where are you taking them? Are you taking them to the bread of life? Are you really showing devotion yourself to the Lord? Are you in that place that they're going to be benefited and blessed as you lead them? And so here's Naomi leading Ruth, and Ruth is going to be blessed because of the prayer of her heart here, the conviction and commitment, and we're going to see that the Lord is going to honor that, and he will honor it with us in our lives as well. So verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that the city was excited because of them, and the woman said, Is this Naomi? And so she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. The Lord has dealt severely with me. And I don't think that she is complaining more than she's confessing. Because I left the house of bread, the place where I was to be, and it was bitter. And you and I will find it the same way. If we leave that place where God wants us to be, you may look over and find that the grass looks greener on the other side, but if you leave that place where God wants you to be in closeness to him and and in fellowship with other believers, in that place where you're being refreshed by the word of God, being refreshed by other believers, you're going to find that it's going to be bitter. It's going to be bitter. But I also want to encourage you as well. Because maybe you're coming back from that bitter experience. Maybe there's somebody here that you thought, you know, I really haven't been close to the Lord, and I've been distracted, I've been strained, I've been doing other things, and I'm realizing that it's bitter. 
I want you to understand something. That you're coming back to that which is going to be sweet. You remember in Exodus chapter 15, there was another place that was called Marah. And after the crossing of the children of Israel through the Red Sea, and they crossed on dry land, and they went on the other side. Chapter 15, the beginning, they're praising God. You see the, the, the praise of Moses and the song of Miriam, and they're praising God and, and all of this. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, they're thirsty. They're in the hot desert, and they come to some springs, and they drink it. And they said, oh, we can't drink this. It's bitter. So they called the place what? Mara. And what was Moses told to do is the people were complaining. He was told to throw a tree into the waters and it was made sweet. Maybe, perhaps, just maybe, somebody here tonight that you're coming back from a bitter experience and you're thinking that was bitter. But you know what the answer is? You look to Jesus Christ. You look to him who hung on a cross for you. Jesus Christ and him crucified the one who hung on a tree, and he's the one that can make things sweet again in your life as you come to be refreshed and renewed. That's why Jesus said, come drink of me, and out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. If you drink of the water of the world, he said to that Samaritan woman, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, you will never thirst again. You look to the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of our Lord and the faithfulness of our Lord in those times where it's Mara, where it's been bitter, and you will see the Lord working in your life where he'll make it sweet once again. And so verse 21, as we finish the chapter, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which would actually be around Passover time. So here is what we see in verse 21. I think this equation of backsliding, by the way. We left full, we came back empty. Whenever you decide to go to Moab, to go to Shechem, to go the way of the world, you're going to leave full, but you're going to come back empty. Because that's what backsliding does. But again, in that emptiness, that perhaps when you do come back and you realize that, Lord, it was empty, that's a place in your emptiness where you humble yourself that you can say, Lord, I want you to fill me now. Forgive me, Lord, just fill me with your love, fill me with your spirit. And you'll find the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord being there. And that's a place where the Lord oftentimes will work powerfully in our lives when we begin to empty ourselves of our pride and our self-indulgence and self-focus and come to a place of humbling ourselves. And that's where we see God doing in work as you cry out to him. And as we continue in the book of Ruth, we're going to see that the Lord is truly going to fill them with grace and mercy and showing himself strong on their behalf because of their love that they have and devotion that they're going to have, Ruth and Boaz, 
And as we, the bride of Christ, because you see, Ruth is a picture of us, the bride of Christ. And our devotion to him will bring blessing and goodness. Are you empty tonight? We're going to end here. I wanted to go into chapter 2, but we're going to end here and just spend some time in prayer. And go to him for your satisfaction, fulfillment, and saying, Lord, I just want to empty of my pride, of, of all those things that are pulling me away, and to be filled with you, with your love and with your spirit. And so, Father, that's what we desire to do tonight. We thank you for this powerful first chapter of, of the book of Ruth, Lord, just to be able to come and study this book. And, and Lord, so much application to be made. But, Father, we do live in days where... There is famine in the land spiritually. And as we are in the world, we know that we're not to be of the world, but sometimes the world has those poles on us in our flesh. And we start to look at other things and go other directions that perhaps where you would want us to be planted. And we do find out that we leave full, but we come back empty. But Lord, I am so thankful that we can come back I'm so thankful that we can repent and that when we turn to you, your loving arms are there as we come back to that place of worship and devotion and hearing the word of God, being with God's people. So, Father, I do pray for tonight. If tonight, if anyone here is feeling empty, maybe not just because they strayed or maybe they're just discouraged and down, maybe just hurting. Pray that you would fill them right now. That you would fill them with your love. And that you would fill them with your spirit. And that you would remind them of your goodness and that you're here with us. And you see our hearts, Lord. And you desire to bring the comfort to those who bring need comfort. You desire to bring strength to those who are feeling weak. You desire to to reaffirm your love to those who perhaps, Lord, are wondering, does your love remain? I pray that you would just encourage those who are in difficult times right now that need provision and wisdom and direction, that they would know that your promises are true. And as they stay in that place, of Bethel, stay in that place of the the house of bread, the bread of life, knowing that your word is true and that you desire to, to, Lord, to show yourself strong on our behalf. And, Lord, that we can rest, that your promises are true, and that your thoughts towards us We can't even sum it up because it's so many and it's so wonderful, as David would say. Father, I pray that we would be ones that we would just leave this place refreshed knowing it was a good place to be here. Father, I just want to lift up to you those who have gone through sickness and I am thankful for Lord, just hearing from Darlene, who 
comes to our first service. She's had lung cancer and finished her chemo and radiation, and she's feeling good. And Lord, we just continue to pray for healing for her, that when she goes back in a couple months, that there'd be no cancer. She would be able to go home soon, that you would encourage her and bless her. Lord, I thank you for giving her the strength to go through this and the courage when she was so scared. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that you're going through something where you're frightened. Or maybe you're afraid. And the Lord says, you don't need to be afraid, that I'm with you. And that I'll always be with you and I'll never leave you. Father, I just want to lift up to you Donna, who has pneumonia, that's sick at home, that you would touch her and heal her and bring her strength back. We thank you for her and Jean and the blessing they are to us. Fathers, others that may be sick, I pray for Anne, who fell and broke her elbow. A dear, dear lady, a part of this fellowship. Lord, she's been here since day one. And Lord, that you would help her to heal and encourage her and bless her, even as we speak tonight, that her arm would heal fully and she'd have function in her arm once again. And Father, I pray for a family that's very dear to us, to this family, even though they're in Oklahoma. And we want to lift up to you John McEwen that's in ICU on a respirator. And Lord, we just pray that you would touch him Lord, we ask for healing. We've been praying for that. But Lord, we also know that John belongs to you. So may your will be done and may you encourage Karen and, and Lord, all of the family that are with him right now. And Lord, they would sense your presence and that you would give them peace and wisdom right now. You'd be with the doctors and the nurses that are treating John. Lord, we just give this whole situation to you. They would know that this church loves them very much. And Father, I just pray for, Lord, all the marriages that are here, that again, that there is devotion as husband and wife cling to one another, that as parents, that again, that we would lead our children to the place of Bethel where there is blessing, where there is devotion, that you give us wisdom and encouragement in doing that. And so, Father, please help us as as husbands and wives and moms and dads, grandparents, Lord, to be those leaders that you've called us to, even when it's hard and difficult. I pray for single parents that, that Lord, that as they're desiring to minister to their kids and lead and so much going on, I, Lord, that you, you would strengthen and encourage them, and, Lord, that you give them wisdom, that we would support them and help them. Father, I want to lift up the, the, the youth that's upstairs and in the room. I see so many come out and that you would just continue to bless them and grow them in your word. I pray that you would touch their hearts in a very deep way, that there would be revival. Lord, they would get grounded in your truth because we know that there's an attack against them from the world and, and the enemy Satan like never seen before. Lord, guard them and protect them. And may we love them. And Father, I pray that this fellowship be a place where people can come and be filled.
It's a place of love and encouragement. A place where truth is being taught and it's different than the world. And Lord, it would be a good place for us as we grow in love for you and love for one another that your love would be evident here. So Father, take everyone home safely tonight. Again, we thank you for this time that we've had together. And Lord, we look forward to what you have for us tomorrow in guiding us, directing us, and working on our behalf. And Lord, just experiencing, Lord, the song in our heart, the satisfaction that we have because Jesus dwells on the throne of our hearts.